It is so great to be home. I can't tell you how great it is. Um, I have a little jet lag, so if I fall asleep during the message, you know what's going on. Um, so we have one other announcement it's, that's really important. February 15th and 16th, uh, churches in this region are doing a conference called Sexuality Everywhere. And uh, it's headed up a high point. Uh, we're bringing in uh, national speakers to talk about sexuality. We are out of control as a culture in just being over-sexualized, and there's so many messages coming, and Hollywood is very glad to give what the message is, and Facebook, and the internet, and there's so many ways to have access to wrong, confusing, damaging information about sexuality, and uh, sometimes the church has just kind of uh, not said anything. And it's really important that the church speaks out in a way that's clear, that's compassionate, but that is telling the truth. And so we're, we're, uh, we're very excited about this conference. We're going to do a Thursday afternoon or Friday afternoon at ALCS. We're going to invite all of the public school kids to get a note from their parents and to get to ALCS, and we will, we will do one for just teenagers on this side of town, and then the conference is at High Point. Um, but anyway, Jean Collins is here today. She's in the foyer. For people that want to help volunteer, we want to do this thing together, and so we need volunteers, or if you just want to stop by the table to get more information about the conference, about when it is, and um, they, she's got a way that you can be reminded of when it is, and so, anyway. But speaking of High Point, most of you know, but some of you may not, um, High Point has a pastor on staff, Dr. Manohar James, who is from India, and he has set up this ministry of in India of training pastors. And so Pastor Nick gave me an invitation. Would City Church con consider joining them? They, this is one of their big missions, and it's very expensive because they pay for the travel of all the pastors to come in. And would we consider helping them, coming alongside of them? And our missions committee said, yes, let's do it. And so we did that, and... Uh, these last two weeks I have been in India it was Pastor Nick, his daughter Abby, uh, Manohar, and myself. And we went to four different cities and trained uh, 1,100 pastors. And I'm going to be telling a few stories from India, and you'll know now you've got a little context for it. Okay, we are in a series on Psalms. We have done delight and rest, and this week is thirst. Would you mind standing with me in honor of God's word? Turn in your Bibles to Psalm 63. Uh, otherwise, we're going to have the words right up here, and you're welcome to just follow along with us. Oh, thank you for whoever did this. There is something before Psalms sometimes called the prescript, and it's in the original text. It is part of the Word of God. It is not part of the Psalm, but it's, it's the prescript. It's before. And here's the prescript, and it's really important in Psalm 63. It says, a Psalm of David regarding a time when David was in the wilderness of Judah. So that's before the Psalm. Here we go. Oh God, you are my God. I shall seek you earnestly. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh yearns for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Thus I have seen you in the sanctuary to see your power and your glory. Because your loving kindness is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. I will lift up my hands in your name. My soul is satisfied as marrow and fatness. And my mouth offers praises with joyful lips. 
When I remember you on my bed, I meditate on you in the night watches. For you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings, I sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. Would you pray with me, please? Father, I pray today that you would speak, but even more than that, God, that you would impart something to our hearts, that you would call us higher, you would call us deeper than we've ever been before. Please, God, in Jesus' name, amen. 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 You may be seated. So David tells us when he writes this, it's at a time when he's in the wilderness of Judah. So the wilderness of Judah, David was there for a brief period of time. It was after he, he had already been anointed to be the next king. He had killed Goliath. He had become the general. Then Saul became filled with jealousy and wanted to kill him. So David fled from him and his many men joined him out in the wilderness. And their first stop was the wilderness of Judah. They, they didn't want to leave their homeland, and so they're in Judah, but there is a problem in that time. Saul takes his whole army and is chasing David to kill him. And finally, David says in 1 Samuel 27, 1, uh, we can't do this anymore. We're running for our lives all the time. We need to leave this land and go to the land of the Philistines. And so once he gets to the land of the Philistines, He's still kind of in the wilderness, but Saul isn't chasing. But this is the most dangerous time in his life. He is in a wilderness being sought by an army that wants to kill him. Thirst. I only have two points today. Number one, thirst finds its home in God. Oh God, you are my God, I shall seek you earnestly. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh yearns for you. Spiritual thirst is that thirst that can only be met by God himself. It can't be met by any of God's blessings or, or any of the things around us or any of the people around us. Th Spiritual thirst can only be met in God. In Ecclesiastes 3.11, it says that God has set eternity in our hearts. God has placed underneath your soul, which is your mind, will, and emotions, deep within your spirit, this longing, this yearning for something beyond this life, for beyond what this world can do for you. This is in every single human being. We were created by God, and we were created for God. This is the underlying thirst of the human race. Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 13, it says, My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns, that cannot hold water. Wh what? Two sins? People commit many sins. There's this sin and that sin, and oh, you could list a hundred thousand different types of sins that people commit. But God says every sin that's committed by the human race, it's here's why that sin is committed. Because they were created for me. They were created to drink of me. And when they don't drink of me, and they go somewhere else. They, it, it, everything else is a cistern. It, a cistern catches water secondhand. And not only is it secondhand water, it's not God. It's God's blessing. It's not God. It's something God created. Not only is it secondhand, but it's leaky. By design, nothing else will satisfy our hearts. Everything else, you can enjoy it for a while, and you can, but once you make it an idol, once you make it your source, and I'm going to drink of this, it will, it will be found 
to be leaking. And at the end of your leaky cistern, people get depressed because they were counting on this job or this new house or this new position or this new girlfriend or boyfriend or this new... They were counting on that. Now, now I'm going to be happy. And we try to get happy and we try to be satisfied and, and it runs out. How does God think about the human race? In John chapter 4, we come across a, a woman that has had five, five husbands. And now she's living with somebody that's not her husband. This is living in open, in that culture, my oh my, open immorality. And Jesus, the holy son of God, confronts her one-on-one. -on -one. And it's interesting how he feels about her. And he says these words, if you knew who I was, there's, no, there's just no way she can fathom that God in flesh is talking to her. If you knew who I was and you knew what the gift of God was, you would ask me and I would give you to drink. Drink water that would satisfy you. Many in our culture are trying to get their drink from human relationship, from the opposite sex, from, from their, and trying, 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 trying. And at the end of cistern after cistern emptying out, Jesus looks at what she is created for, what he created her for, and he says, if you would ask me, I would give you to drink. And then he tells what the gift of God is. He says, I came to give you a well. Whoever believes in me, this is in John 4, whoever believes in me will have in him a well that springs up to eternal life. The, the gift of God is that he, when we put our trust in him, when we believe in him, he puts his new nature in us, which is the well, and then he fills us with the Holy Spirit. And we literally carry around within us the means for joy, the means for happiness. No longer do we have to get happiness out here, and this has to change, and this has to change, and this has to change, or I can't be happy. No, you, you carry around the water that truly satisfies, which is in a relationship with God. This is what we were made for. David is away from his home. He's been stripped away from his wife, and he's had to flee for his life. He has been stripped away from his mom and dad, um, he says in Psalm 27, which is a companion psalm of the time that he was in the, the desert of Judah, and he says these words, even if my father and mother abandon me, the Lord will hold me close. His mom and dad have been put in a very difficult place because King Saul is in charge. He runs the finances. He runs who gets favored and who doesn't. And David is now a criminal. And so he, David doesn't know if mom and dad are going uh, are, are, are gonna to just stay with Saul and, and abandon him and uh, he doesn't know but here's what he knows that there's a home in God God you are my God there's a home for us in God when everything else is stripped away there is a home for us in God. David has found shelter in the shadow of his wings. We find in Psalm 27, the companion psalm, God's invitation to him. Psalm 27, 8, David says, my heart has heard you say, seek my face. And his response, your face, O God. Your face, O God, will I seek. 
And we get in verse 4 of Psalm 27, where David came to, one thing have I desired, and that will I seek after, that I might dwell in your house, that I might behold your beauty, that I might meditate in your temple. David has found a home in God. And this is what God is inviting all of us to do, to find our home, to find our home in him. Psalm 84 How lovely is your dwelling place, Lord God, Lord Almighty. My soul yearns, even faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Even the sparrow has found a home, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may have her young, a place near your altar, Lord Almighty. My King and my God, blessed are those who dwell in your house. They are ever praising you. Better is one day in your courts, we sang it today, than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. So this is a little confusing. Even the swallows and the sparrows have found their home near your altar, O God. And I'm reading this and what, what, is this, what does this mean? And so I looked up in some commentaries and, well, here it is. So sparrows and swallows are very small birds. And so what they do is they strategically choose where they're going to make their nests. Because they're small and they're fragile and they're vulnerable, they need a nest that is in a place that is strong and permanent. So they will make their homes oftentimes in the eaves of barns or some structure. Well, in the ancient, the ancient Greeks wrote about these birds that would nest at their temples. They were called holy birds, that they would, they would net because the temple was seen as a place that was strong and permanent, and so they would, they would nest in the eaves of the temple. And maybe, and this is what scholars say, that what the, what the, of course, there was no structure greater than Solomon's temple. And maybe what's being referenced here, the psalmist is referencing those birds that have nested in the temple. They have found this permanent, strong structure that will protect them and will protect their young. And so they chose, they chose to make a nest near the altar of God. And the imagery that the psalmist is giving is this is where I want to make my home. I own that I'm small, I'm fragile, and I'm vulnerable. There are predators trying to destroy me. But I get to choose where I make my home. I get to choose where I make my nest. I can make my nest in, there's nothing more permanent, there's nothing more powerful, there's nothing more strong than God himself. We can nest in God. We are invited to make our nest in God. All we really have to do is own how small and fragile we really are. And that we are being sought by predators <laughs> that want to destroy us. And so we make our home in God. We hear the longing for home. My soul yearns, even faints, for the courts of my God. So we spent three and a half years in Faustin, Minnesota. Faustin is, not, I'm not saying Boston, I'm saying Faustin. This is northwest Minnesota. And if you're traveling with four kids, it takes you 10 hours to get there. It's stunning to me that there is a place in the next state that is 10 hours from here. And it's not only a long way geographically or physically, it's, it's a long way culturally. It's, it's kind of like a different culture up there. It's, it's a farming community. It's very rural, and it's almost all Norwegians, and they are almost—there's uh, just a lot of inner— 
marrying. And so uh, uh, the, the, the church is made up of people that are interrelated. We, we have, they have a saying there, where two or three are gathered, there's a Johnson in your midst. <laughs> and, 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 and so we, here we are, and we're up there, and we're, we're trying to be part of it, but there's no way that we're not outsiders. We're always, we're always outsiders. And uh, so we longed to come home. All of our vacations were spent coming home. We would hit the, the state line, and we would sing uh, on Wisconsin every single time. <laughs> We were so happy to be home. And, and I remember pulling into 200 Green Hill Circle, Milton, Wisconsin, which is my, that was the only home I knew growing up. And, and all of our siblings would be gathered, all of my siblings and mom and dad were there. And it was a place where I could relax. I knew I was accepted. It was a place of provision. We're, we're struggling to get by with four kids at a pastor's salary. And, and, but once we got home, everything was taken care of. No, there's no worries at home. It was a place of tremendous joy. Growing up, a lot of fights. But once we got adults and we were coming back with our children, and it, it was a place of great joy and fun and acceptance and the the there was a longing there was a longing for home so about 6 years ago my mom got to the place my dad died in like 1991 and so my my mom stayed at the house and um about six years ago, she got to the place with her health. She just needed to be nearer to us. And so we, we put the house up for sale and we, we moved her up to an apartment about a mile from where we live in McFarland. And, um, and I was just anticipating tremendous grief over that, that when that house was gone because there were so many memories in that house and every, every room, every place. And I just, I was anticipating grief and just pining for that house. But it was the funniest thing. That house sold. And I, I, I didn't think about the house at all. And then I realized something. Home wasn't that house. Home was my mom. And ho now home was at this apartment and the, the acceptance and the, and the joy and the, the feeling. You never, here's the thing about family. You don't ever try to impress family. You never, you're never on, they know everything. Don't impress them. Don't put on airs with family. They, they already know. And especially when you're in the ministry, that's just a really safe place. That there's somebody that I don't have to be somebody in front of. And, and I realized that my mom was home. <clears throat> home wasn't in a place. It was in a person. And then a, a year, about a year ago, a little over a year ago, my mom passed to be with the Lord. And And I found that I needed to push farther into God. That the real person that needs to be our home is God. He's always there. He never leaves. So here's the, the state of Christianity in India. It's not illegal to preach in India as long as you're Indian. India is for Indians. And so you can preach the gospel in India as long as you're an Indian. Now, you cannot convert anyone. You can't 
you can't lead somebody in conversion in India. You have to leave them as they are. You are breaking the laws of the land. And so um, what is illegal is for a white person to preach in India. And we, we knew this going in, and we went to four different cities, and we knew that there, there are some dangers here. Some, uh, a pastor from America got deported recently. He got up to speak. The police were there, and they took, what they do is they just deport you. They take you, and you fly back to the United States, and the people that actually get in trouble are the people that let you come. And so these people are taking a risk having us, and um, here we are in India, and I just, I want you to know that even though I was in India, I was at home in God. And I felt the prayers of this place. People were praying here. Uh, we all talked about the praying that was going on here and that we felt those prayers. Twice, the police came. Two different cities, the police came. Once was just after Nick got done preaching and Manohar came up and so it looked like when he came in it looked like Manohar was doing it because Manohar was his, his was the only picture on the posters because you can't give away that there's going to be white people there and uh, so that was one time police came saw it and said okay this is fine and the, the second one was very dramatic because it was in Nagpur and the registrations kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger, until, so they kept having to move the venues. And so there ended up being 520 people registered for this conference, and so the venue they got was right next to the police station. <laughs> and we're at lunch... And one of the police wanders over and says, I want to get a ticket to be in here. I want to be part of this. And they said, it's not necessary. It's not necessary because our speaker, Manohar, you can see the poster. He's right here. Why don't you ask him any question you want to speak in? And the police were there and he talked to Manohar and they said, okay, this is fine. And we were sovereignly protected because of prayer, because of God's Ability to hide us in the shadow of his wings. Now, here's the funny thing. I never had a dream about the police coming and taking me away until we got back to the States. <laughs> I had a whole night of dreams of the police coming to take us, but it was like two nights ago. While we were there, I never knew fear the whole time I was there. It was just like God has me here. The, the church is praying we are being careful to, I'm only doing what they tell me to do, but God, God is our home. Point two, last point. Thirst, so point one was thirst finds its home in God. And second, thirst transforms the wilderness if we will allow it. David says, in a dry and weary land where there is no water, I yearn for you. I thirst for you. I am seeking you. This is not just the physical wilderness. This is the spiritual wilderness. He senses that he is at risk. His promises are unfulfilled. His life is not going the way it should go. And it, this is a very dangerous time in his life. He can become bitter, he can become offended, or he can press in to God. Very interesting about trees in famine and in very, very dry, uh, when, when, when a, a famine comes to a region, trees are all at risk. They either die or they get deep. And I, I read about this. Some, some of these trees, what happens to them? Their roots go deeper than the tree is high. 
their roots just keep going until they get to a water source. And so they become very, very strong in the wilderness. Wilderness is a, it's a dangerous place. There, there seems to be a big emphasis um, in this day about staying hydrated. Hydration and health are, are they're, they're really close to each other and we are losing water all the time and so we need to take in water and this is just how we are created physically. We need to keep drinking and um, dehydration comes when we're taking in less than is going out and here are a few of the symptoms. Fatigue, just get tired. Dizziness or confusion. Uh, unable to cry. There's no tears anymore. And then eventually death. And it, it's very interesting how people get dehydrated. It's, it's, it, it comes either when they are physically sick and they don't want to drink. They lose their thirst. And so you've got to force them to drink. It's always hard to force people to drink or eat when they don't want to. Or another way they become dehydrated is because of busyness. They've just become distracted by their life and they forget to take in. Or they get in a high, hot, dry climate that they're not used to being in. So their usual intake isn't enough. So this, these are all the physical, this is a physical reality. Do you see the spiritual parallel? We were created to thirst for God. Not, not a one-timer, but to drink him and then need to be replenished. It's about relationship. It's about dependence. And if you don't drink spiritually, if you don't drink, even though you go to church, even though you may have a Bible, even though you're, you, be, you stop drinking, you become distracted, you become busy, you, be, you, you become sick spiritually because you've been drinking too much from empty cisterns that hold no water and you become sick and you start losing your spiritual thirst. You, you, get, you get in danger. You become very tired spiritually. I'm bored. I'm just bored. I'm bored with church. I'm bored with anything to do with God. I'm bored with worship CDs. I'm so sick of those worship CDs. Uh, and you become bored and tired spiritually. You become confused spiritually. You don't even know what the truth is anymore. I used to be real sure that Jesus was the way and, and this was my life. Now I'm not so sure anymore. And then there's no tears anymore. There's no tears welling up for God's goodness or no tears of intercession when you're, when you're praying for others because you're dehydrated spiritually. And then, of course, if you don't eventually drink, you're going to die spiritually. You just die. And it's, it, it, spiritual death is interesting, isn't it? <laughs> Because you're still in this world and you're still walking around and you're still buying stuff at the store and you're still, and you could still be very, very busy and no one can see that you're dead. It's kind of like a battery. The, isn't, isn't that the problem with batteries? They all look new. We're, no, we're never deceived by batteries. It, we, just because they're new doesn't mean they've got a charge. So God wants to he doesn't want us to die in the wilderness. He wants us to go deeper. Listen to Psalm 84, verse 6. When they walk through the valley of weeping, it will become a place of refreshing springs. God has a very special plan for your trials. He's got a very special plan for your loneliness. He's got a very special plan for your despair. He's got a very special plan for your loss. And when nothing is going the way it is supposed to go, there is a plan. There is a design. There's something in the heart of God that is beautiful if we will grab a hold of it. Whenever we think of spiritual thirst, those of us who have been in the Bible a while, we think of Psalm 42. Let me read the first eight verses of Psalm 42. Maybe we've got them up here. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my 
soul pants or thirsts for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? My tears have been my food day and night. While people say to me all day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the mighty one with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. My soul is downcast within me. Therefore, I will remember you from the land of the Jordan, the heights of Hermon from Mount Mazar. Deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. All your waves and breakers have swept over me. By day the Lord directs his love, and at night his song is with me. I call this the song of the night. The psalmist has thirst awakening in him. Thirst that it says like a deer panting for water. A deer, uh, I'm no longer thinking or caring what it looks like. I must have God. I must drink of God. I've got to get close to God. I will do whatever it takes. I must have you. I must drink you. And he tells the story. That there was a time when it was easy and, and he was in the crowds and it was, it was rejoicing and, and, and life was good and he was blessed the way you should be blessed and everything was good. And I call that the song of the day where you're happy and you're grateful and for all of God's goodness. And here's why, because everything is going right. And all the way, all the blessings you're supposed to have are yours. And you are praising God and worshiping God. But then something happens to the psalmist. God's breakers start coming over him. Difficulty after difficulty. And it strips him down. It strips down his soul. It strips down everything that he's been trusting in. But he sees what God's doing. He says, deep is calling to deep. In the, in the day, we tend to live very shallow lives. <laughs> Everything's going good. Praise God. Awesome. And we just live kind of on a surface life. But when things get stripped away, we, we, we're in danger. Unless we can see that deep is calling to deep. God is calling for something deeper. Something deeper than just a, a, a praise song in the day when everything's going good. He is, he is eliciting. It's the depths of God calling to the depths in us. And it, it's awakened this thirst. And you learn a new song. It's called the song of the night. It is a much deeper song than the song of the day. It gives God the deepest thing God wants from human beings, unconditional love. It's the very thing we want from him, isn't it? We want him to love us unconditionally. We receive his unconditional love. And when we don't love God conditionally because, God, if you do X, Y, and Z, I will love you. When we say, even though you're breakers, even though difficulties, even though I've got unanswered prayers and there's an army after me, when we say, God, I choose you, and we take up that song, there is a freedom that releases in us, that releases a new thirst in us where our greatest prize, our greatest reward is not God's blessings, it's God himself. There is a discovery of the true pearl, the true treasure of heaven, which is not all of God's blessings, it's God himself. The song in the night. Once you get the song in the night, you're free. Listen to what Paul says. This is Philippians 4, 12 and 13. He says, I know, I know how to be blessed and have an abundance, and I also know how to have nothing. I know how to be completely stripped from everything. I have learned. I did not always know this song. I learned it. I've learned to be content no matter what it's, was happening because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. 
I am free now from circumstances. I'm free from whether people like me or don't like me or, or whether things seem to be going good or seem to be going bad or if, if, if the economy is this or the job is this or the relationship is this. I'm free from it because I found that in Christ, in Christ, I've got everything I need. He is the well springing up within. I now have this joy. Of course, he writes the whole book of Philippians in, in prison, from prison, from a Roman prison. And here it's the epistle of joy. So uh, two Sunday mornings ago, I was asked to speak at this church in India that's in an orphanage. And, uh, and we get to the service, and all the orphans are there. They're, they're little kids and, and teenagers, and, and everybody that's there is somehow either connected to the orphanage directly or comes to this church that meets in the orphanage. And I preach on one thing. You got to, India is a, a land of tremendous need. And then within this land of tremendous need, there is an orphanage. So the needs, a place of tremendous need. So you've got needs here, needs here. This is like the neediest place you could possibly be in. And the message of one thing was about David in the wilderness and in the midst of him needing God to do stuff for him that God invited him higher to seek his face, to seek God for who he is, to seek God for his presence. And David's decision to make one thing the goal of his life, that I will seek God, I will seek for his presence. And so that was the message. All these people who have all these needs, and I'm calling them, you know what, don't worry about your needs. Come higher than that. God's inviting you. And so, so the, the general prayer call was, if you want to answer God's invitation, like David did, and say, Lord, your face I will seek. I want you to, and I do a general prayer, and then I turn it back over to the pastor, and the pastor, the pastor was deeply moved. He said, he said, I, I am going to have Pastor Tom pray for me, and if you would like Pastor Tom to pray for you for this, I, I want you to come. So I, I, I pray for him, and then I'm praying for people for about an hour. Not a single person gave a single need. It was just that they would go higher in God. It, w it was just that they would find God's presence, that they, would, that they would have fire in their hearts that made God their central focus. So we're about an hour in, and the Lord drops something in my spirit. I want to heal people. I go to the pastor, and I say, Pastor, we're going to move now to a time of healing. Do you want to, would you just tell people if they, would, if they need a physical healing to come up because I, 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 want, I want to pray for them. So the first lady that comes up, she kind of ambles up to the platform and I, I, I'm, it's all through an interpreter and she explains that she is in pain constantly and it's everywhere. She's got pain here, she's got pain in her arms and her legs, pain all the way through her body. And I said, are you, are you in pain right now? Oh yeah, I'm in a lot of pain right now. And so we did a very brief healing prayer because uh, prayer doesn't heal people. Jesus heals people. Prayed a very brief prayer, and she starts walking away. And I'm like, oh, tell her to come back. And, and, and so they, they tell her to come back. She turns around, and, and I ask her, why are you leaving? And she, and, and she says, uh, because I'm healed. But I won't stop. I'm like, okay, so you mean that God is touching you and you feel a little better? And she says, no, no, the pain is completely gone. I am entirely healed. But I noticed something. My hands are burning, physically burning. And I go to the pastor. I said, pastor, my hands are burning right now. If anybody needs healing, they need to, they need to come up here. And guys... What happened next, I've never seen it in all of my ministry. I prayed for people for the next hour, and everybody was coming. Kids were coming. Uh, teenagers were coming. 
they would tell me what their pain was. Their, every single one was healed. Every single one. And not, and not partly healed. But I mean, completely, it was just, it was the easiest thing that I've ever seen. And, and it's funny because there was a gift of healing resting there. And that afternoon, I preached the same message at another church. And we do healing again. Nothing like that happened at all. There was just a gift of healing present. And I've thought about it. Here, God, I believe these orphans touch the heart of God. The neediest people on the planet asking not for God's blessing, but for God. And I think they touched his heart. And of course, healing there, it's, they don't have finance. They can't go to the doctor. They don't have money to afford medicine. They just live with whatever they had. And God, in his mercy, as these people sought his face, the generosity of his hand was released. Guys, I believe there's a secret here. There's a secret for our nation. You know what, you know what it says in 2 Chronicles 14, 7? It says, or maybe it's 1 Chronicles. It says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and turn from their wicked ways and pray and listen and seek my face then I will forgive their sin and I'll heal their land they will have my hand they will have everything my hand can do if instead of seeking my hand they would start seeking my face and they would they would seek my face and as they seek me that they would turn from all of the wicked ways all of the cisterns that they've been drinking from all of the idols that they've made all of the lesser things if they would seek my face so here's how i want to end John, the worship team can come John 7 37 through 39 on the last and greatest day of the festival Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the Spirit had not yet been given, since Jesus had not yet been glorified. Jesus could not give his gift until there had been the death and the resurrection. The death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ is what makes this gift available. It, a gift is something that you get for free. It doesn't, it's not something that's free. Somebody else paid the price. You get it for free. Jesus died on the cross. He paid for this gift. He paid, it wasn't on sale. It's the very highest price. He paid for it with his own blood. And then he was glorified. He was resurrected from the dead. And now he can freely give salvation. And when he looks out across this congregation and he sees whatever mess you're in, he says, if you knew who I was and what the gift of God is, you would ask. You would, I, I've got what you've been looking for. If we could have every head bowed and every eye closed for just a moment. If you are here today, And Jesus is knocking on your life. Jesus is inviting you to come to him. Maybe you're tired. Maybe you're weary. Maybe you're, you've been drinking from cisterns. Maybe it's been lifelong. Maybe you're in a place of tremendous despair right now. And that's even why you're at church. Guys, this is not about a preacher. This is about Jesus. Jesus loves you. This is about what you were made for. The Bible says it this way in Revelation 3.20. Jesus says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and sup with him. Jesus knocks. It's the knock of love. He doesn't push the door in. He doesn't force anybody. He knocks. That's his invitation. 
No one, it says, comes to Jesus unless the Father draws him. If you're hearing that knock today, that, that this isn't just something you came up with. The Father is drawing you to the Son. This is why you were made. But you have to open the door. He will not open it for you. He leaves that. That's what love does. You've got to say yes. He'll invite, but you've got to say yes. And if that is you today, you just want to open your door and say, Jesus, please come in. I, I want to bring my thirst to you. I want to drink of you. The reason why we have every head bowed and every eye closed, this is between you and God. This, this isn't between you and church. This is you and God. The reason why I have people raise their hands is because somebody helped me open my door, and I love to help people open their door. So if that's you, would you just raise your hand real high right now, long enough for me to see it? We're going to pray all over this place. I see that hand. I see that hand. I see that hand. God bless you. I see that hand in the back. God bless you. I see this hand up front. God bless you, sir. I got you in the balcony over here. God bless you. Jesus is knocking, and you want to open your door. Anybody else by upraised hand? Okay. If you raised your hand, would you just put your hand on your heart right now and pray, pray something like this. Lord, thank you for loving me. Thank you for dying for me. Thank you for purchasing the gift of eternal life. Thank you for drawing me here to this place today, but not just to this place, but to, to you. Thank you for knocking. Lord, I'm opening the door. I'm turning from all of my cisterns, saying, Jesus, give me that well. Give me that water of eternal life. I receive right now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Could we stand to our feet? We're not going to do uh, ministry teams today, although we might have ministry teams come and, and pray from behind people. But I want to open up the altar this morning. We're not going to we're not going to close the service. We're we're just going to. If you need to slip out, obviously at, at 10, you need to get your kids. But um, I want to make the whole sanctuary a place of prayer and worship and drinking, frankly. So if you need to talk or meet with somebody or leave, just if you could slip out quietly. But I want to open up these altars, and here's why. Sometimes you need to step out and say, I am willing to pant after this water. I am willing to be, it doesn't matter what it looks like. It doesn't matter what people think about me. I need to drink you, Jesus. And maybe you're in the midst of great trouble right now, and God wants to transform that trouble. The reason why David sought God in the night watches, you know why I think? I think it's because he couldn't sleep. He's got an army at his door. He, everything is a mess. He's having trouble sleeping, and he uses the night watches to press into God. I need you, God, like never before. And so I want to just open up these altars and invite you to come or just turn around where you are, make an altar right where you are. But let's, let's seek God. Father, in Jesus' name. You said that if we would drink, truly drink of you, that rivers would start flowing. Rivers available to all those around us. I think of those kids at the orphanage and, and, and the way the river of God just started flowing and just healing, 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 healing. Jesus, the greatest need of your church is to drink so that rivers can flow. In the midst of this dry and weary land, God, let us not die, but let us go deeper than we've ever gone before, I pray. Amen.